0: Welcome to On the Line. This is Joe Mowings,
1: and I'm Christina Kay. We're here in the studio with Holly Scott, who is pretty much always here, but not in the studio. Uh, Joe's partner in crime of how many years? It'll be 21 in February.
2: Wow, who's counting?
0: Best 21 years of my life.
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> never an unkind word, never a tear shed.
0: Her at least.
2: <laughs>
1: Got Holly in here to uh, to give us uh, her expert perspective on people's careers. I know that the two of them have done nothing but put people in the right places to do the right things. So I came across this article with Jeff Bezos. He, he was giving an interview where he explained that he would play this mind trick when he was a, a trader uh, on Wall Street, where he you know was sort of dissatisfied. Although from anyone's outward op- opinion, it would be a perfect situation where he was making a lot of money and very successful. But he knew it wasn't wasn't the right fit. So, uh, he played this mind trick where he said, uh, he would just envision what his life would be like at 80. Cause he said the best way to think about it was to project my life forward to age 80 and then take the path that minimizes my regrets. So I thought that'd be a really good way to think about how you guys have seen careers evolve over the years.
0: So, you know, to that point, Jeff talks about regret and, and to take somebody like, like I'm calling him like my buddy, Jeff, but anyway, Bezos talks about regret and <clears throat> I think it's important to point out whatever we chat about in this session mm-hmm. that look he's the best of all time on this decision. Mm-hmm. So and and I don't want to map it towards money either it's just like fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Right? So Bezos is really interesting and you know he made a decision and it's about making a decision to go after something that you feel incredibly compelled to get involved with and and how you and I do that a lot because people sort of burn the boats when they move from one company to another and a lot of times.
2: Quite often with our young companies, especially since we do about what, 70% of our work is with startup companies. So it's it's interesting to see that uh, move from a larger, more established organization, potentially, and uh, see someone say, you know, I'm going to do it. It's the time. I've got to do it now. I don't want to regret it later and jumping on to, to a startup for whatever drives them personally. You
0: know, and, and that's when people talk about it all the time, the safety thing. So I want to jump on that. Uh, people infer safety with a larger organization, and it certainly isn't the case all the time. Um, you know, Safety doesn't have a constraint of too big to fail. Uh, what it does is I believe a lot of times people use the word safety as an excuse not to do something.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd argue that uh, there's not a lot of safety and regret anyway, right? Like that, you also have to think about sort of the, the safety of your own well-being and your and your mental wellness. And I think that, that sometimes the risk is actually in some ways a safer option as far as self-fulfillment and self-satisfaction goes and how that then ripples out into every other element of your life, your family, your relationships, uh, your children. I don't have any, but I'd imagine it probably would, you know, uh, that sometimes safe isn't actually as safe as it might seem on paper and that like the on paper life is maybe a little bit problematic to try to live.
0: Yeah. I, I ran across that early. So, um, just sharing some of my story on that. I had the classic thing, like literally classic. I grew up in a, um, I would say lower middle class income, you know, single mom raising us, uh, and first person to go to college, uh, graduate, get an engineering degree. I checked the handbook that was thrown at me that I didn't want to read. And it was like, okay, out of college, get the job offer, get married, um, and then sit in the pocket for 30 years until you become vice president of engineering. Um, and I almost bought into that early on in. I actually took a job with big company. And within literally days or weeks, I remember, I was like, oh, this was a huge mistake. Um, and after two years, I just quit and everybody was horrified. Just absolutely horrified that I punted on that quote-unquote guarantee or safe job. Um, when you
1: say everyone, you mean? Good
0: good question. So all the people who bought in to safety or guarantee, right? Because you can fail at something safe just as easily as you can fail at something risky. And man, I'd rather fail at something risky again however you define failure
1: right and what about uh did you have any sort of pushback from your family or people you had (laughs) intimate relationships with yeah
0: my father disowned me literally he was a guy who worked for a company called grumman aerospace and he never got a chance to go to college but he was like an electrical engineer but a draftsman and he quote unquote looked up to these engineers so the fact that i punted on that On something that he always wanted to be yeah it was almost it it was right off time Mm -hmm. Um, and honestly he when he was mad at me I did not care seriously at that young age I did not care because it didn't matter to me I knew then Um, and then always on the edge right Um, I read something on the street in New Orleans this past weekend and I'm going to paraphrase and it was Mm -hmm if you really want to find out about an entrepreneur mind, ask a juvenile delinquent, because they never want to do things the way you're supposed to.
1: Hmm.
0: And that just resonated with me on so many levels.
1: I was wondering, Holly, because I know you've placed a lot of people, and we've talked about this, how you develop sort of particularly intimate relationships with a lot of your candidates. If you had any sort of compelling stories about people who took a right turn, took a big risk, and, and where it might have paid off or not, you know, either way. Gosh, I could
2: probably come up with a dozen of each because of the, the number of uh, relationships we've had over the years. A couple that jumped to mind that I think are, are pretty significant. Um, one in particular, uh, a friend of Joe and I's over the years, was a, a true high flyer with one of the big med tech companies, giant company, progressed every year and a half, Ran businesses domestically in OUS. Worked up was, was really at uh, the the height of his career. Tapped on the shoulder to lead a startup. Said I, I got to do this. Felt it was time. Right risk uh, risk measured in, in his world and decided to jump in. Uh, jumped in successfully for the first say year and a half. Um, clinical milestones met. Built regulatory out. You know everything product development wise was on the rails. And started looking at sales projections, and bottom line, board wasn't happy with what sales projections he was proposing, and threw him out. And he, we basically had three offers on the table. And he called me and he's like, "Hey, uh, I can't make those offers." And I was like, "Why?" And he's like, "Well, I'm no longer there." But the bottom line of that was, it was something he never regretted. And after that moment, we worked together as he ramped up his consulting company, and that became the best move he ever made he did better than he had in business from a a a personal and lifestyle perspective he had a lot going on but also just from a a financial perspective economic perspective and they also got back in uh, in a much better situation with exactly what he wanted to do he loved the younger company environment and didn't want to go back to the big politics, but he was able to get back in and do what he wanted to do after seeing more of the real game going on outside of the walls of the company he left. So it was a risk. It was a measured risk that where, hey, startups don't always pan out and sometimes they don't turn out the way you, you, you hope that they will. Um, but he did come back learning a lot and, and took away an incredible amount of experience.
1: I do think we we tend to overvalue failure, right? And and not really put it into the perspective that every experience in life, positive and negative, ultimately weaves into the texture of 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 yourself and and there's ways to come out of something that would potentially seem like a failure on top of it, you know, and and ahead of it and and come out maybe even better for it. Mm-hmm. I know in the creative industry there is no set path, really there's no like I'm going to do this, this, and this, and after this many years, I'm going to be in this position. There really is nothing like that. So everything you do is a, is a measured risk. And, and I know I've taken on some truly bizarre jobs and, and worn so many different hats. There isn't always such a fixed outcome. You can be sort of creative with your own life and, and path.
0: Look, there's always an outcome, right? <clears throat> and, and if people would absolutely just drop the word fear from their vocabulary and failure – from your vocabulary and failure is always an externally awarded label that is all your fault for owning. There's only optimal and less than optimal outcomes. If you really want to map it to a KPI, to a deliverable, that's it. And and that's why it horrifies me that people talk themselves out of the greatest opportunities of their life before they even get started. They start with all the reasons why something won't work. The best thing you can do in raising a child is teach them that there's no, no such thing as failure. Zero. Nada. There's only an outcome. And don't let anybody ever tell you that you failed at something. And don't make that semantics. Explain to them why.
2: And and with this article in particular, it's not exclusively risk-failure, right? And coming back to that regret, it's it's where we're at at 80 in our mind and think back and say, geez, is this, is this where we wanted to be? Which is why... So many people do get that that push point where they're ready to jump, right? And uh, I know for me personally, right, I I went into this career thinking, okay, I'm going to do this a few years, like we talked about, and I'm going to go out and do it on my own and all of this. My risk wasn't, am I going to do it? I never doubted I could. My risk was getting to know you and knowing that I wanted to do it with you and then saying, okay, am I going to be able to be okay letting someone else drive me there and it was so natural and it was so right that I knew that that would be okay. So everyone's story is different and and I'll chat with people all day long about how three to five years, five to seven years, perhaps you should evaluate, perhaps you should do these things, but that's for your own reflection. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make you that it's wrong to stay. It doesn't make it wrong to leave. It makes it important to think through and make sure that you're assessing individually. Where that is going to land for you personally, as you retire and think back and think about what you did and what you what you wanted to do.
1: I wonder, Joe, do you could you imagine or, or maybe like flesh out what your life would be like right now if you didn't follow that entrepreneurial impulse that you knew you had.
0: Hmm. You guys know what that answer would be. I come down here all the time and. If I feel restrained, I'm suffocated.
1: Yeah,
2: you'd be I'm, sick.
0: You know me, yeah, right? You'd be sick. I, I would We're be not literally more unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I'd be literally sick yeah. or dead. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just because, right? And and I, I think I was super lucky because I was just born this way. Um, my mom and dad didn't teach it to me, right? They both had that sort of conventional: keep your head low, do the right thing work your way through, maybe you'll buy a house by the time you're 25 or 30, get married, have two and a half kids, and all those things are cool as long as you get to do what it is that internally you know you need to do. So here's an example, right? So a fun story. I've been involved in combat sports all my life, and shortly after Matthew was born, who's now 16, so you can time that backwards, Lynn and I moved up to Jupiter from the water in Fort Lauderdale. And I was uh, practicing a couple different martial arts at that time. And I had um, trained at this little small studio. And I got wrapped up in knots by this guy, Scott Duquette. He was a grappler. And I was like, what just happened to me? So I fell so in love with that. And it was such the truth to me. And truth. There was not a single thread of non-truth in it. I had decided as a beginner that I was going to commit myself to this. And within four years, we had opened up, I had opened up, I can't even say we, I had opened up one of the largest mixed martial arts and Brazilian jiu-jitsu school studios in the country, worked my way to black belt. From where? White belt. (laughs) right? And as an owner, I opened up a school. I had the big enough, the audacity to believe I can do that. And I never once thought, what if I can't, what would somebody think? And believe me, I had a number of employees who I love like brothers to this day who I know giggled all the time, black belts and UFC fighters. We had, gosh, Kurt Pellegrino, Hermes Franca, Matt Wyman, Luis Kane, uh, Edson Barboza, Marlon Moreas, Marcus Bouchesha, the world champion in now. I mean, fearlessly went down to Brazil, hired these guys, ran through their immigration, brought them up here and put little Jupiter on the map, trained more than probably three or 4,000 local people in jiu-jitsu, fought for UFC titles and all because I didn't think it wasn't possible. That is an instance of my life and the same with, and again, I don't want to pound chests here. It was recruiting, when I got into recruiting, you know, because of something that happened to me earlier in life, it was the only option I had. And I went into a recruiting firm, talked to a great guy, Sebastian Lavolsi. He interviewed me for a while. He said, you want the job? I said, sure. I said, I'm gonna work for you for two years. And he giggled at me. I said, then I'm gonna go open up my own firm. And he giggled at me again. And he said, if you're able to make enough money here and go open up your own firm, you'll have my blessing. Two years and three weeks to the day. I moved to Miami and opened up in Coral Gables from New York. And it was never a doubt. Yet, everybody who looked at me thought I was crazy because I left hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table as an employee. But I knew that I could only do it my way. In light of all of the voices who had doubts and said, why would you trade that for this? And because I have to sleep with myself every night. I'm lucky enough to have that courage. And I think everybody is if they give themselves permission. That's a long answer to your question. <laughs> uh, I,
1: I wonder how uh, you counsel either of you uh, candidates that you speak to who have an opportunity on the table that might be different from what they were originally considering or might be a leap or a risk who are succumbing to the fear. How do you talk them out of that?
2: Well, the counsel is, look, w- only you will know. Um, you need to think it through and see what that's going to mean to you down the road. Um, I had a, a, a young lady I was working with about mm, five years ago, and she was an incredible marketing professional, did real well with another big company in the Boston area. And um, I had an opportunity that she went downstream with, and it was, it was a pretty serious situation. She was their top candidate, and she liked them. But there was something holding her back, and she said, you know, I I think I'm going to take the take the opportunity. I said, okay. I said, it's, you don't sound too too excited about this move, you know? She says, well, you know, it's it's logical. It's more money. It's a great opportunity. It's, it's making sense. I said, again, I'm I'm pausing here. So long story short, she comes forth and says, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And I said, um, you don't want to interview anymore? You don't want to? What do you mean? You don't want to? What do you not want to do anymore? I don't want to do product marketing. And I said. Okay, all right. This is a much bigger discussion than I expected. I knew something was behind the curtain. Holly, I don't even want to be in the industry anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to open a restaurant. I'm a foodie. I'm 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 in, in, in crazy about that. I love being in the kitchen. I have just um, left a, a a tremendously negative relationship after five years, and I'm done doing everything I don't want to do. And I said, really, and. <laughs> Here I am with a potential, and, and this is for all of you out there that think recruiters are chasing the fees. Um, I'm sitting there looking at this deal that she had just told me she was going to accept, and I'm saying to her because I'd become, I feel that this is the right thing to do. I said, look, you can't you can't ignore that. You can't ignore that. If this is what you want to do, you have to do this. So if you ask me how I counsel someone, I don't counsel anyone. I, I have conversations, and I, I try to, to to be honest and and be forthcoming on what I'm hearing them say before they say it. And she was telling me loud and clear what she wanted to do, and that that was that dream of hers. And she has a beautiful little restaurant in Boston right now.
1: Wow! I was hoping there was a follow up. Yeah, that. yeah.
0: So the foodie thing must be where to go. There's a somebody who has an unbelievable tea house in Boston, and she left a quarter million dollar a year salary and a ton oh. of money. But she just wanted to have an English tea house. Wow! And then there was the guy down in Nashville who opened up um, a hamburger bar and he was making <laughs> 150000 a year. Yeah. And so you know what's really important about that? People talk about do what you love all the time. And it's only because if you really want to get to where you want to go, it's going to be super hard work. Mm-hmm. And if you don't love what you're doing, you're going to quit.
2: Right. Yeah. Or you're going to get yourself sick. Right. Just like we're saying, you can't go against that. You know it in your gut. And I've seen a number of people over the years and over the thousands of conversations and in relationships that we've developed that they're so accustomed to walking around feeling sick. Mm -hmm. They don't even know they're feeling sick anymore. And to to ignore and push down Mm. what you are built and, and desire in your life because the rest of the world has told you that you have to have a uh, a big house and two kids and a big mortgage and, and they got to be in private school and all of these other things that make you a slave to what you're caught up in. It is. It is. It's sad. It's incredibly sad because
0: that's why they call it dis ease.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Because they're so far gone, they they don't even know anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, back hey, think about our parents, your parents, mm-hmm. my parents, same kind mm-hmm. of thing. There were there was it was cookie cutter. This is the way it was. But then you heard about the what the seven year itch. You heard about the um, the midlife crisis. You heard about all these these repressed, right? Because people that were. Going along in their world and thinking that they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, but not feeling good about it.
0: The struggle's good if it's your struggle Mm -hmm. that you want to own and not somebody else's struggle based on an opinion that they believe this is what you should do. And listen, it's a trade-off. It's not a perfect world all the time, but the struggle's brilliant. As human beings, Ryan and I talked about this yesterday, late in the day we love the struggle. The struggle's critical. That's the only way you grow. The struggle isn't healthy if it's being laid on you by somebody else for an extended amount of time. Yes. And I think yes. you nailed it there in some of those phrases that perhaps our parents and grandparents grew up in.
2: Yeah, they're, they, they're internalizing and owning other people's uh, labels and suggestions and roadmaps and, and if we do believe, which I personally do wholeheartedly, that everyone has their own, every person has their own road, then it's got to be the internal decision. So Joe you I, know, we can we can counsel, we can have conversations, but at the end of the day, all we can do is help them facilitate, manifest what their dreams are and help them get to where they they truly need to be. And they're not always great endings. They're not. They're not always great endings. I, we work primarily with startups.
0: Only if you allow it not to be an ending. That's, right? So, this comes back to fail or not. Yep. So, it, it, there's an outcome.
2: Absolutely. And,
0: and, you know, there's that whole Phoenix thing all the time. If you're wired that way, not to make it a destination, because what's really important is the person you become during that struggle. Mm-hmm. The end point doesn't matter. Too many people get wrapped around the axle on that. Yeah. It's the person that you become on the way to what you thought was the destination and oftentimes those people who grew up that strong or become that strong go on to do amazing things you know you want to look at bezos's article and be like oh cool he went right from there to there no no there there's a whole bunch other than him chasing that Mm -hmm. you know that that north star i can guarantee you you dig down into that and you sit bezos down he will give you what could be perceived as tens of thousands of potential end Mm -hmm. that wasn't where he is today
1: and tens of thousands of furrowed brows. Everybody has expectations for you throughout your life. Many different people, whether it's your employer, your parents, your even your siblings, your children. Everybody has these expectations of you. And it's really hard to convince someone that, oh, you know, money isn't actually... The outcome I'm, I'm looking for, I'm actually looking for passion or freedom. I mean, even when I took this job, I work here pretty much full time. And I could have taken benefits, right, and, and been a full time employee, but I'm not. I'm an independent contractor. It's a burden on myself fiscally, but I chose it because the freedom to be creative, the freedom to take on things that might come up in my industry, you know, that's very important to me. And, and that Joe would even allow that is very important to me. I wouldn't work here if that wasn't an option. I think it's very hard to explain to you know my mom why i don't have health care why i'm paying you know for it myself when i don't really need to be but I, I couldn't possibly do it otherwise i my last job i worked for a theater and and anyone in my industry would think that that's probably the most cush job ever i made videos i worked with celebrities i it was fun i just like went to the theater and shot a video it was all lit and everybody was all dressed up i didn't have to do anything but show up with a camera but it was full time, and I had no flexibility. And if I wanted to do something else exciting, I'd have to turn it down because there was there was no leeway there. And I think, you know, there's the big decisions about taking on a new job, moving somewhere else. But then there's the small decisions about how you want to work your job to be a part of your life, not something that works sort of against it or perpendicularly to it, but parallel with it or is it especially now. And it's well known work weeks are getting longer you know com- culture in companies is getting it's changing people are putting in more hours caring more about what they do and if you are that person who doesn't care and you're put it you're trying to match everyone else cuz you don't want to be outed as the one person who doesn't care yeah i do think you will get actually emotionally and eventually physically sick
0: there's all kinds of data to support that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know we your life is meant to be lived as a whole, mm-hmm. not in parts. And you have to find a way to have harmony in both sides. And maybe even not both sides, you know. It's work, relationships, sig other relationship, children, friends, personal development. Hobbies. They're not they're not hobbies. They're not supposed to live in boxes. You're supposed to live your life as a whole. And when you figure that out and you tell everybody else to take a flying right here man learning to live by faith and not sight is so important and too many people get hung up on living by sight i like that as a finish by the way
1: (laughs) okay good to know joe that means we're wrapping up you're on on the line thank you again holly for coming in Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Good seeing you again, Hal. Huh? Yeah, it was
1: nice to see you. We you
0: haven't stop by this. if you're in the
1: neighborhood. I will. <laughs> I will.
0: I will. I'm Jill Mullings.
1: I'm Christina Kay. Tune in next week for another episode of On The Line. Cue music.